0: The first few weeks of Advent are dedicated to the preparation for the coming of the Lord. Now, you might think all of Advent is dedicated to just that, but the final part of Advent is really focused on Christmas and sort of reliving the anticipation and the preparation that our ancestors lived through as they awaited the birth of the Messiah, But in these first few weeks of Advent, we're not commemorating the past, but we're living a present reality of anticipation and preparation for when the Messiah will come again. We hear that in the prayers of the Mass that speak about eternity and mortality and judgment and the end of times. We hear it in the readings of the liturgy as well. Today's gospel from Matthew isn't about the birth of Jesus. It's about the second coming of Christ in glory and how we should be prepared. For the Lord will come at an hour you do not expect. Therefore, stay awake. These first few weeks of Advent in particular are about our preparations to meet the Lord at the end of our lives or at the end of time. I wish to share with you this morning some words of a better preacher than I. The church offered us on Friday a reflection on the mortality of human beings by uh, St. Cyprian, and he's a better preacher than I am, and most people in the church Uh, do not pray the Office of Readings from the breviary. And so I figured this might be new to you. Cyprian says this, our obligation is to do God's will and not our own. We must remember this if the prayer that our Lord commanded us to say daily is to have any meaning on our lips. How unreasonable it is to pray that God's will be done, and then not promptly obey it when he calls us from this world. Instead, we struggle and resist like self-willed slaves, and are brought into the Lord's presence with sorrow and lamentation, not freely consenting to our departure, but constrained by necessity and yet we expect to be rewarded with heavenly honors by whom to who by whom we come to against our will why then do we pray for the kingdom of heaven to come if this earth pleases us so what is the point of praying so often for its early arrival if we would rather serve the devil here than reign with Christ there The world hates Christians. So why give your love to it instead of following Christ, who loves you and has redeemed you? John is most urgent in his epistle when he tells us not to love the world by yielding to sensual desires. Never give your love to the world, he warns, or to anything in it. A man cannot love the Father and love the world at the same time. All that the world offers is the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and earthly ambition. The world and its allurements will pass away, but the man who has done the will of God shall live forever. Our part, my dear brothers, is to be single-minded, firm in faith, and steadfast in courage, ready for God's will, whatever it may be. Banish the fear of death and think of the eternal life that follows it that will show people that we really live our faith. We ought never to forget, beloved, that we have renounced the world. We're living here now as aliens, and only for a time. When the day of our homecoming puts an end to our exile, frees us from the bonds of the world, and restores us to paradise and to a kingdom, we should welcome it. What man, stationed in a foreign land, would not want to return to his own country as soon as possible? Well, we look upon paradise as our country, and a great crowd of our loved ones awaits us there. A countless throng of parents, brothers, and children longs for us to join them. Assured though they are of their own salvation, they are still concerned about ours." What joy both for them and for us to see one another and embrace. Oh, the delight of that heavenly kingdom where there is no fear of death. Oh, the supreme and endless bliss of everlasting life. Cyprian points out something strange in the life of a Christian. That our creator, our redeemer, the one who loves us most, is so often reluctantly heard, reluctantly obeyed, and reluctantly met. He says at the end of time, which Jesus says we do not know the day nor the hour, will you be taken kicking and screaming to the Lord? Or will that moment be the fulfillment of your desires? Would you rather remain in the shadow land or do you desire to enter into perpetual light? It's the task of Advent, and in particular these first few weeks of Advent to ask ourselves that question and discover the answer. if Christ were to come today, would I be pleased to see him? The answer to that question tells us a lot about ourselves, about our hearts, and about our goals. And there's two ways in particular, I think, that we can move more towards the Christian way of life. If we find ourselves hesitant or fearful in any way to meet the Lord, it's probably one of two things, or maybe both of them, that's lacking. The first task is to remove from our lives whatever ties us to this world. Whatever we are too attached to This world is good, but it is not eternal. It's fleeting, and it shall pass away. And if we're tied to it, then we shall pass along with it. It'll take us down with it. And so what is it in your life that ties you down? In what way, because of your own choices and your own sins, are you what Cyprian calls a self-willed slave. We willingly tie ourselves down. We willingly hold ourselves back. And so part of our Advent task is to remove those things. To unleash those chains. To enter into a new time of freedom. To renounce our sin and to root out vice, those things which incline us to sin, which make us want sin. We develop, over time, a taste for sin. Even though we know it's not good, we start to like it, to enjoy it. And we don't know how to like or enjoy other things that are really good for us. We lose our taste for virtue, for goodness. We lose our taste for heaven. We don't want to go. So we do that in a particular way through the sacrament of reconciliation, which is why that sacrament is so often tied in the Catholic mindset to Advent. Now, the city of Bowling Green is, in a very real way, the refuge of sinners. There are few places in our neck of the woods where sins are forgiven in the sacrament of confession on the daily. In fact, twice daily. To have two parishes in town, both of which offer scheduled times for confessions every day, is a wonderful grace and privilege that we very rarely realize. And so take advantage of the fact that you live in a place where mercy abounds. where the pastors of these flocks in Bowling Green desire forgiveness and mercy to triumph over regret. There are certainly special occasions as well to celebrate that sacrament. This coming Wednesday here at St. Tom's we'll have our Day of Mercy, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. every hour on the hour the opportunity to receive forgiveness and reconciliation. The following Wednesday at St. Aloysius, from eight to eight, I believe there, every hour on the hour. St. Al's the following week after that, we'll have a penance service. The opportunity for mercy abounds and it's our duty, it's our job, it's our mission to look within and remove whatever is tying us down to this world. To look for the ways that we're proudful, proudful, prideful, that we're stuck in greed or envy, that we've given ourselves over to lust or anger, and to allow the Lord to set us free. So one thing that might bring us kicking and screaming to the Lord rather than welcoming him is our own sinfulness. The second thing, once that's been taken care of, sometimes something is still missing. There's a certain apathy, a certain slowness of heart, Because we don't desire heaven. We just don't want it. We don't desire to meet the Lord. We're quite content. We've been willing to settle. And so, we have to use this time of Advent to increase, to shape, to mold our desires. We've developed a taste the world. And we've lost a taste for heaven. We've lost a craving for eternal life. And so one of the tools that's very helpful in increasing spiritual desire, increasing spiritual hunger, is to increase bodily hunger. And so... I feel like every year I beat the drum that Advent is also a time for fasting. Fasting has a lot of different purposes. Fasting can be used as um, penance for sins done. It can be used to increase discipline. Those are sort of the ways that we think of fasting during Lent. But fasting also increases our hunger. It increases our desire because the body, the mind, and the soul, they're all connected. And so to experience a little bodily hunger helps us to remember our spiritual hunger, which is always there, but we don't feel it in our guts the same way we do when we need food. And so feeling that bodily hunger helps us understand our spiritual hunger as well. Now, how should you fast this Advent? I have no idea. It's actually really hard. (laughs) Most of the secular world, we would say, has moved on to Christmas. But I think the one thing in the secular season that we do celebrate in regards to Advent are all of those Advent calendars you can buy now. Now, listen, when I was a kid, the Advent calendar was like a cloth thing on the door, and I moved this mouse space by space, until Christmas. Now, you can have the wine advent calendar, or the cheeses of Costco and Aldi. You can have the chocolate advent calendar. And in a very strange way, a season that is designed to increase our desire aims to satisfy every little desire we have every day. Don't wait more than a day. Here's a a chocolate. Here's some cheese. Have a little wine. This is the season of Christmas parties and Christmas cookies. I don't know how you fast during Advent. It's really hard. In the world we live in. I preached on fasting when I was in Sandusky one Advent. And then at the end of Mass, I announced the parish bake sale and the parish breakfast that was happening at the neighboring parish the following week, and the feast for Our Lady of Guadalupe, and I said, I don't know how you fast. It's really hard. It should almost be the opposite way. But we don't live in a world that has Christmas parties during the Christmas season. We do them beforehand. We don't live in a world that says, um, we'll have a bunch of chocolate and wine and cheese and good things on Christmas. We say, have a little bit every day so that you've got a stomachache by the time you get to Christmas. I don't know how you do that, but I do know that fasting is meant to increase our desire. And in a world where we are so attached and we crave what can satisfy us instantaneously, we have to teach ourselves to long for something. We have to teach ourselves to hunger. So I'll leave it to you to navigate the cookies and calendars of the season. But fasting is an excellent tool to increase our desire. And what we experience in the body teaches us what's going on in our soul. I'll add a small way that I think it is possible to fast, but I'm not sure that this is enough. Maybe necessary, but not sufficient. And that's my suggestion, not an order, not a decree, not a have-to, to to increase the Eucharistic fast. So there's a fast before we receive Holy Communion of one hour. We're not supposed to eat or drink anything except for water or medicine for an hour before we receive Holy Communion. Well, lucky you that you have a pastor that goes on and on and on every Sunday (laughs) It's not an hour before Mass, it's an hour before Communion. So as long as you're not, like, sipping on a latte right now, you're probably fine. Maybe this, I have to remember that this is a college parish. Maybe college students get hungry if they don't eat for an hour. But most of us don't experience any real hunger, any bodily effects for an hour's fast. And so... While an hour is what the church requires, you're free to go above and beyond. Before it was an hour fast, it was a three-hour fast. So maybe that's something that you can do. Before it was a three-hour fast, it was from midnight till that day, until you received Holy Communion. It might be difficult if you're going to 9 p.m. Mass, but there is something powerful about the first thing that you eat in a day being the Eucharist. I can't explain all of the spiritual physics of it, but it makes a difference. There's something spiritually powerful about feeling some bodily hunger before mass that makes you aware of your spiritual hunger and the reality that man does not live on bread alone. And if after such a short time I am hungry for food, how hungry must my soul be for the bread of life and the cup of salvation? So that's one way that fasting might increase your desire for the Lord this Advent. But I really think those two are powerful tools in our Catholic tool belt. The Sacrament of Reconciliation and fasting for the purpose of hunger, of increasing spiritual desire. The idea is that the Lord may come at any day, at any time. If we're hungry for him, if we're longing for him, for heaven, if we're not shackled to the sins of this fallen world, then that will be a happy day indeed, a day of great rejoicing. My dear brothers, says St. Cyprian, my dear sisters in Christ, let all our longing be to join the angels and saints as soon as we may. May God see our desire. May Christ see this resolve that springs from faith. For he will give the rewards of his love more abundantly to those who have longed for him more fervently. May you have an advent filled with holy desire and longing.